This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. The Lord above gave man an arm of iron. So he could do his job and never shirk. The Lord above gave man an arm of iron. But with a little bit of luck, with a little bit of luck, someone else will do the blinking work. <laughs> with a little bit, with a little bit, with a little bit of luck, you'll never work. The Lord above made liquor for temptation. To see if men could turn away from sin The Lord above made liquor for temptation But with a little bit of luck With a little bit of luck When temptation comes you'll give right in With a little bit, come on boys With a little bit With a little bit of luck you'll give right in Oh you can walk the stride and narrow But with a little bit Sex was made for man to marry To share his nest and see his food is cooked The gentle sex was made for man to marry But with a little bit of luck With a little bit of luck You can have it all and not get hooked With a little bit With a little bit <laughs> With a little bit of luck you won't get hooked With a little bit a man was made to help support his children, which is the right and the proper thing to do. A man was made to help support his children, but with a little bit of luck, with a little bit of luck, they'll go out and start supporting you. With a little bit, come on boys, with a little bit, with a little bit of luck, they'll work for you. He doesn't have a toppings in his pocket, everyone is blood, you'll ever hope to me. Oh, thanks a lot, mate. He doesn't have a toppings in his pocket, with a little bit of luck. Theatre Nerds, I'm Mike Williams. Mel Martin is here too, and you are backstage once again via the comfort of Zoom because we and the rest of the Waikato are still stuck in level three. It might be step two. Yeah, uh, I, but, I think know, I'm it's still it level, level three, isn't it? <laughs> level 2.5, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I get so confused with all these different variants, but all it means is we can't still do the things that we really love to do. That's right. Uh, week 13 of our experience with the Delta variant, case numbers aren't going anywhere, and so we're sort of in the process of transitioning into living with COVID in our communities, um, which have 
of course, is seeing a lot of discussion around vaccination and vaccine certificates. Oh, gosh, isn't it? And it seems to be where we're heading, that, you know, living with this thing is what we're going to have to learn to do. And that means we've got to find creative ways to do the stuff that we love to do. And we will get there. We obviously will. It has had some dramatic effects, though, on the arts and events industries. So we won't go there today. We will eventually, but there's probably going to be more to say in another week's time or thereabouts. The flavour of last week was a sprinkling of I love you, you're perfect, now change. And we welcomed also Deb Nudd's back into the podcast. If you missed it, you can catch up on any and all of your favourite podcast streaming apps by typing in Backstage with Mel and Mike and we'll pop up. On the menu today, Mike is taking one for the team with Musical of the Week, Puke, My (laughs) Fair Lady. Uh, In case you couldn't tell, it's not a favourite of mine, but I will admit that the 2018 Broadway recording that we're listening to today is a lot more fun than anything I've heard of My Fair Lady before. I think that's a fair comment. Um, You know, I I am taking it for the team because it's also not one of my favourites. I will say that I really do like the music, but the show itself doesn't really sort of gel with me. Anyway, Uh, we're also going to try something a little bit new, and I'm kind of anxious about this, in a test section that we're going to call the Actors Studio. But before we (laughs) delight you or otherwise with those details, it's time to get out your calendars. Unfortunately, with a load of lost rehearsal time, there have been cancellations and postponements everywhere. But here is what we know of coming up around the place between now and the end of the year, and it's not a big list. It is not a big list. At the Meteor, we're just waiting on Assassins, presented by Bold Theatre. That's coming up in December. We're still crossing our fingers for news there. Yeah. Morrinsville Theatre, MTIs all together now, still going ahead there because they're on level two, November 12th to the 15th. Thames Music and Drama are also doing MTIs altogether now from November 12th to the 15th. As are Tauranga Musical Theatre. Their date's also 12th to the 14th of November. They've also just announced Tauranga Musical Theatre. They have a creative team pretty much in place for their season of That Bloody Woman, which I think is April next year. That's exciting. Tauranga 16th Avenue Theatre have Swingers by April Phillips, directed by Merv Beats, 26th of November to the 10th of December, and Detour Theatre in Tauranga, Sherlock Holmes, The Adventure of the Speckled Band, 18th of November to the 4th of December. And then last on our list is Mystery on the Orient Express, that's from November 17th to the 27th over in Theatre Fakatani, uh, and that concludes the list actually that is it, yeah if you know of something we should tell you about please get in touch uh, but as far as we know uh, thanks to casualties that's where we sit there are some upcoming auditions and opportunities though wing valley productions are holding auditions for their debut production of the pillow man directed by jason wing you can look them up on facebook for more audition information hamilton playbox are holding auditions for their april season of geezers by Tommy Lee Johnston and directed by one Mike Williams, November the 21st, crossing our fingers at this stage. Check out the Hamilton Playbox Facebook page for more audition details. And I have to say I've had a communication from Tommy Lee Johnston directly uh, about the show. Yeah, he's delighted that we're going to go ahead and do it and uh, really interested in how it goes. So that's, oh, that's really cool. I love it when a playwright reaches out and gets in touch. It's cool. Yeah, that's lovely. The Sherpa and the Beekeeper, written and directed by Matt Cambick, tells the story of the very first summiting of Mount Everest to audition for either Edmund Hillary or Tenzing Norgay. You can look up The Sherpa and the Beekeeper on Facebook. You'll get all the details that way. You sure will. Hamilton Musical Theatre also have auditions coming up for their May season of Blood Brothers on December the 5th and 6th. You can check out their Facebook page for audition websites and details there. 
Reveille Theatre are looking for expressions of interest from directors who might be keen to be on the creative team for their 2022 Christmas season of Saturday Night Fever. Look for Reveille Theatre on Facebook and you'll get more information there as it comes to hand. And we've also mentioned that Tauranga Musical Theatre have found a creative team. They are also now on the hunt for heads of department for their wardrobe, props, hair and makeup. Etc. Etc. For that bloody uh, woman, yeah, yeah, for that bloody woman. So catch up with them. As always, if there is anything you want us to spread the word about, uh, email us on backstagepodcastnz at gmail or let us know when you see us at the theatre next, which might not be for a, for a while. So <laughs> just hit us up. When she mentions how her aunt bit off the spoon, she completely done me in. And my heart went on a journey to the moon when she told about her father and the gin. And I never saw a more enchanting farce than the moment when she shouted, Move your balloon! Yes, sir. Is Miss Doolittle at home? Who shall I say is calling? Freddie Ainsford Hill. If she doesn't remember me, tell her I'm the chap who was sniggering at her. Yes, sir. And would you give her these? Yes, sir. You needn't rush. I want to drink in the street where she lives. Yes, sir. I have often walked down the street before But the pavement always stayed beneath my feet before All at once am I several stories high Knowing I'm on the street where you live Are there lilac trees in the heart of town? Can you hear a lark in any other part of town? Does enchantment pour out of every door? No, it's just on the street where you Any second you may suddenly appear People stop and stare They don't bother me For there's nowhere else on earth that I would rather be Let the time go Yes. I'm terribly sorry, sir. Miss Doolittle says she doesn't want to see anyone ever again. But why? She was unbelievable. So I've been told, sir. Is there any further message? Yes. Tell her I'll wait. But it might be days, sir, even weeks. But don't you see I'll be happy here? People stop and stare. 
they don't bother me. For there's nowhere else on earth that I would rather be. Let the time go by. I won't care if I can be here on the street where Backstage with Mel and Mike, either live on Free FM 89.0 or from your favourite podcast streaming app. We don't care how you're listening to us, just as long as you're checking in. Now, Mel is landing a new segment on me. I knew nothing about this until she just told me before we started today. She's calling it the Actors Studio. Mel, do you want to take it from here? You can fill in the gaps. Yes, Mike. Yes, I do. So I'm a little bit nervous too, just to disclaimer that as well. Uh, so in the actor's studio, we and our performance-inclined friends are going to deliver you some famous duet scenes from our favorite movies, plays, and musicals. So today, Mike and I will be taking the roles of Jack and Tyler, sitting in a darkened tavern, sharing a pitcher of beer. Mike, you're going to play insomniac Jack. And I will be playing self-destructive Tyler. Um, and if you are a film nut, you'll already know which movie we're doing. But in case you <laughs> don't, we're going to give you the scene and you can guess. So whenever you're ready, Mike, hit us with your dirtiest American accent. For better or for worse, here we go. You buy furniture, you tell yourself this is the last sofa I'll ever need. No matter what else happens, I've got the sofa as you handled. Then the right set of dishes, the right dinette... This is how we fill up our lives. Yeah, I guess so. And now it's gone. All gone. Could be worse. A woman could cut off your penis while you're asleep and toss it out the window of a moving car. (laughs) There's always that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a terrible tragedy. No. No. I mean, you did lose a lot of nice, neat little shit. The trendy paper lambs, the Euro trash shelving unit. Am I right? But maybe... Just maybe you've been delivered. Delivered from Swedish furniture. Delivered from armchairs in obscure green stripe patterns. Delivered from Martha Stewart. Delivered from bullshit colors like cobalt, ebony, and fuchsia. Insurance will cover it. Oh yeah, you gotta start making the list. What list? The now I need to go out and buy all the same stuff all over again list. That list. (sighs) I don't think so. This time, maybe get a widescreen TV. You'll be occupied for weeks. Well, I have to file a claim. The things you own, they end up owning you. God, it's like I I should find a hotel. A hotel? Yeah. So you called me up because you just wanted to have a drink before you go and find a hotel. I don't follow... We're on our third pitcher of beer. Just ask me. Huh? You called me so you could have a place to stay. No, I... Why don't you cut the shit and ask if you can stay at my place? Would that be a problem? Is it a problem for you to ask? Can I stay at your place? Yes, you can. Thank you. You're welcome, but I want you to do me one favor. What's that? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I don't know about this. I don't know either. I want to find out. I've never been hit, have you? No, that's a good thing, isn't it? I don't want to die without any scars. How much can you really know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Come on, you're the only person I've 
ever asked. Me? Why not you? I'm letting you go first. Do it. Yeah, this is crazy. All right, go crazy. Let her rip. Where do you want it? In the face? Surprise me. Oh, shit. Sorry. That didn't count. Like hell, that counted. How do you feel? Strange. But a good strange. Is it? We've crossed the threshold. You want to call it off? Call what off? The fight. What fight? This fight, pussy! And insane. <laughs> that was weird, but fun. <laughs> I really enjoyed that, to be honest. I'd be interested to know if anyone can guess what movie that scene is from. Okay. But if you can't, we'll tell you. <laughs> oh, I suppose there's not much point in doing a podcast unless you can have a bit of fun and go crazy now and again, eh? Oh, we might as well let them see our silly sides. Yeah. And that scene was brought to you by the good Chuck Palahniuk and his late 90s masterpiece, Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Uh, that was our best impressions of uh, Edward Norton and Brad Pitt. <laughs> I don't know if they were the best, but yeah, we, we gave it a shot. Okay, so obviously that was our first time giving it a go. If you've got some critique for us, we want to hear it. Uh, and if there's a scene you'd like us to tackle or a local performer you'd like us to maybe ask into the actor's mm, studio, yeah. uh, you can contact us on all of the usual ways. So don't go anywhere for now. We will be right back with our musical of the week. And this week it is My Fair Lady. There are drinks and girls all over London, and I gotta track them down in just a few more hours. I'm getting married in the morning. Ding dong, the bells are gonna chime. Pull out the stopper, let's have a whopper, but get me to the church on time. I gotta be there in the morning. But don't lose the compass And get me to the church Get me to the church For God's sake, get me to the church On time Oh, yeah. 
and get her out of town. Army, call out the army. Get me to the church. to the church on time from my fair lady and if you don't recognize those dulcet tones it features heavily the one and only norbert Buds. oh gosh i'm such a fanboy for that guy me you too are, you are currently backstage with mallet mike we're talking about theater of all sorts of forms and shapes and sizes and it's been a bit of an action-packed episode already i must say and we're not even done yet as you can imagine there's an extensive history to my fair lady and i have a whole bunch of stuff i really want to get through to tell you about it so without any further ado then let's have you mike just dive right into everything we didn't know we needed to know about the historic and iconic musical my fair lady okie doke my Fair Lady is a musical based on the George Bernard Shaw play Pygmalion from 1913. 
The book and lyrics were done by uh, Alan J. Lerner, the music by his partner Frederick Lowe. Uh, the story concerns Eliza Doolittle, although you probably know the story, I will go through it anyway. Uh, she was a Cockney flower girl who takes speech lessons from Professor Henry Higgins, a phonetician, I think is the word, so that she can pass herself off as a lady. And the original Broadway and London shows starred Rex Harrison and Julie Andrews in the two iconic roles. The musical's 1956 Broadway production was a notable critical and popular success. It set a record for the longest run of any musical on Broadway up to that time, and it was followed by an amazingly uh, successful hit London production, also a popular film version and many, many revivals, and we'll get to all of that in time. To go back through the plot in a little more depth, an Edwardian London, Eliza Doolittle is a Cockney flower girl. She's got a thick Cockney accent, which is almost indecipherable. Look at her, a prisoner of the gutters, condemned by every syllable she utters. By right, she should be taken out and hung for the cold-blooded murder of the English tongue. Oh, heavens, what a noise. The noted phonetician, Professor Henry Higgins, encounters Eliza at Covent Garden and laments the vulgarity of her dialect with his friend Colonel Pickering, who's another linguist and who is uh, staying with him as his house guest. Why can't the English teach their children how to speak? Norwegians learn Norwegian. The Greeks are taught their Greek. In France, every Frenchman knows his language from A to Z. The French never care what they do, actually, as long as they pronounce it properly. In a roundabout sort of way, Eliza's father, Alfred P. Doolittle, stops by the next morning looking for money for a drink. So Eliza eventually finds her way to Higgins' house and asks for elocution lessons so that she can get a proper job as an assistant in a florist shop. Higgins then seizes the opportunity to place a bet with Pickering that he can, within six months, teach Eliza to speak properly and enabled her to pass off as a proper lady. Eliza then becomes part of Higgins's household as she goes through this extensive makeover, though Higgins sees himself as a kind-hearted man who merely cannot get along with women. To just about everybody else, he appears fully self-absorbed and misogynistic. Eliza endures Higgins's tyrannical speech tutoring, but frustrated, she dreams of different ways that she could possibly kill him to escape his brutishness. Just you white, angry Higgins, just you white. You'll be sorry, but your tears will be too light. You'll be broke, and I'll have money. Will I help you? Don't be funny. Just you white, angry Higgins, just you white. Then just as Higgins is about to give up on her, Eliza suddenly recites one of her diction exercises in perfect upper-class style, which is the famous The Rain in Spain routine. And this is the breakthrough that everyone's been looking for. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the rain. I think she's got it. I think she's got it. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. By George, she's got it! By George, she's got it! For her first public outing, Higgins takes Eliza to his mother's box at Ascot Racecourse. Though Eliza shocks everyone when she forgets herself while watching a race and starts using foul language, she does capture the heart of Freddie Ainsford Hill. Freddie calls on Eliza that evening and declares that he will wait for her in the street outside Higgins's house. Eliza's final test requires her to pass as a lady at the embassy ball. After more weeks of preparation, she is deemed to be ready, and all the ladies and gentlemen at the ball admire her, and the Queen of Transylvania even invites her to dance with the prince. 
A Hungarian phonetician, Zoltán Karpathy, attempts to discover Eliza's origins. Higgins allows Karpathy to dance with Eliza at the ball as a success, and Karpathy declares Eliza to indeed be a Hungarian princess. Pickering and Higgins revel in their triumph, failing to pay any attention at all to Eliza. She is insulted after receiving no credit for her success and starts packing up to leave the house. As she leaves, she finds Freddie, who begins to tell her how much he really loves her, but she tells him that she's heard enough words and that if he really loves her, he should show it. Eliza and Freddie return to Covent Garden, but she finds she no longer feels at home there. Her father is there as well, and he tells her that he's received a, a surprise bequest from an American millionaire, which has raised him to middle-class respectability, and now he must marry his lover. Doolittle and his friends have one last spree before the wedding, and that's their song, Get Me to the Church on Time, which we heard a little earlier. Higgins awakens the next morning. He finds himself out of sorts without Eliza being there. He wonders why she left after the triumph at the ball and concludes that men, especially himself, are far superior to women. Pickering notices the professor's lack of consideration and decides it's time for him to leave the Higgins house as well. Higgins despondently visits his mother's house where he finds Eliza. Eliza says she no longer needs him, and as Higgins walks home, he realises he's grown attached to Eliza. I'm so used to hear her say good morning every day. Her joys, her woes, her highs, her lows are second nature to me now. Like breathing out and breathing in. I'm very grateful she's a woman And so easy to forget Rather like a habit one can always break And yet I've grown accustomed to the trace Of something in the air Accustomed to her face At home he sentimentally reviews the recording he made when she first came to him for lessons, hears his own harsh words, and then Eliza suddenly appears at his home. In suppressed joy at her reunion, Professor Higgins scoffs and says, Eliza, where the devil are my slippers? And it was the famous closing line of the movie as well. All right, now I'll give you the exciting background because there is a, a really interesting story to how this show came about and also some of the controversy that has surrounded it uh, more latterly, uh, even though it's been a, a, a really popular show for a long, long time. It's had its speed wobbles. All right, back in the mid-1930s, film producer Gabriel Pascal acquired the rights to produce the film versions of several of George Bernard Shaw's plays. Pygmalion was amongst them. But Shaw, having had a really bad experience with The Chocolate Soldier, a Viennese operetta based on his play Arms and the Man, refused outright for Pygmalion to be adapted into a musical. But after he died, in 1950, after Shaw died, Pascal made his move and, and contacted lyricist Alan J. Lerner to write the musical adaptation. Lerner agreed, and he and his partner Frederick Lowe started work. But they very quickly realised that the play violated several key rules for constructing a musical. The main story was not a love story. There was no subplot or secondary love story. And there was also no place for an ensemble. 
many people, including Oscar Hammerstein, who with Richard Rogers had also tried his hand at adapting Pygmalion at one point, had given up on it and told Lerner that converting the play to a musical was impossible. So Lerner and Lowe abandoned the project for two years. During that time, the, those two, Lerner and Lowe, separated to go about their own business, and Gabriel Pascal died. Lerner had been trying to write a musical around uh, the comic strip Little Abner when he read Pascal's obituary and found himself starting to think about Pygmalion again. When he and Lowe eventually reunited, everything seemed to fall into place then. All of the insurmountable obstacles that stood in their way two years earlier disappeared, and they realised that the play only needed really a very few number of changes to uh, add some action to these things that took place during the two acts of the play. So they then excitedly began writing the show, but Chase Manhattan Bank was in charge of Pascal's estate, and the musical rights to Pygmalion were sought by both Lerner and Lowe and also by Metro and Golden Mayer, whose executives called Lerner to discourage him from challenging the studio. They wanted to make the movie. Lowe said, we'll write the show without the rights, and when the time comes for them to decide who's going to get them, we'll be so far ahead of everyone else, they'll be forced to give them to us. For five months, they wrote, hired technical designers, made casting decisions, and in the end, he was right. They got the rights. So Lerner settled on the title My Fair Lady, relating to both one of Shaw's provisional titles for Pygmalion and also to the final line of that um, nursery rhyme, London Bridge is Falling Down. goes at the end of every verse. My Fair Lady. Interestingly, Noel Coward was the first to be offered the role of Henry Higgins, but he turned it down, suggesting instead that producers should look at a guy called Rex Harrison. After much deliberation, Harrison agreed to accept the role. Uh, Mary Martin, who was very famous for South Pacific and other movie musicals at the time, and also um, a huge career on Broadway, was an early choice to play the role of Eliza Doolittle, but she declined. Young actress Julie Andrews was, quote, discovered and cast as Eliza after the show's creative team went to see her Broadway hit, The Boyfriend, which was her debut. Moss Hart agreed to direct after hearing only two of the songs, and the show quickly went into rehearsal. The musical script used several scenes that Shaw had written, especially for the 1938 film version of Pygmalion, including the embassy ball sequence and the final scene of the film, rather than the ending of Shaw's original play. The montage showing Eliza's lessons was also expanded, combining both Lerner's and Shaw's dialogue. The artwork on the original Broadway poster and the sleeve of the cast recording was done by a guy called Al Hirschfeld, who drew the playwright Shaw as a heavenly puppet master, pulling the strings on the Henry Higgins character while Higgins in turn attempts to control Eliza Doolittle. And I would wager that's probably an image that you will have seen somewhere. It certainly uh, is my uh, clear recollection as a small boy, um, pulling the LP out of the stack of LPs at home and putting it on the turntable. That was the image I saw. The musical had its pre-Broadway tryout at New Haven's Schubert Theatre and uh, at the first preview, Rex Harrison, who was quite unaccustomed to singing in front of a live orchestra, announced that under no circumstances would he go on that night with those 32 interlopers in the pit. He locked himself in his dressing room and came out just a little more than an hour before the curtain was due to go up. The whole company had actually been told to go home, but they were recalled, and opening night ended up being a huge success. My Fair Lady then played for four weeks at the Erlanger Theatre in Philadelphia, beginning in February of 1956. It premiered on Broadway the following month, and after a change of theatre partway through its run, it closed in September of 1962 after 2,717 performances, a record at the time. 
Moss Hart directed Hanya Holm was choreographer, and Hanya Holm's uh, choreography actually was referred to many times in uh, revivals of the show further down the track. In addition to the stars Rex Harrison, Julie Andrews and Stanley Holloway, the original cast included Robert Coote, Kathleen Nesbitt, John Michael King and Reed Shelton. By the start of 1959, it was the biggest grossing Broadway show of all time, with a gross at that stage of $10 million. The original cast recording released in April of 1956 was the best-selling album in the United States in 1956. Now, the original London production, the West End production, in which Harrison, Andrews, Coote and Holloway reprised their roles, opened April 30th, 1958 at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, where it ran for five and a half years, 2,281 performances. Wow. The first Broadway revival opened at the St. James Theatre 20 years after the original in March of 1976. It ran there until December, then transferred to the Lundfontein Theatre, running there until it closed in February of 1977 after a total of 377 performances and seven previews. The director in that case was Jerry Adler. Uh, Ian Richardson starred as Higgins with Christine Andreas as Eliza, George Rose as Alfred P. Doolittle, and Robert Coote recreated his role as Colonel Pickering. Both Richardson and Rose were nominated for the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical, with the award going to Rose. A London revival opened at Adelphi Theatre in October of 79 with Tony Britton as Higgins, Liz Robertson as Eliza, Dame Anna Neagle as Higgins' mother, along with Peter Bayliss, Richard Caldicott and Peter Land, who was a New Zealand drama school graduate. He graduated a couple of years before me. Oh, wow. I only know his name because he chose the name Peter Land uh, because his real name was already taken by some other actor. So he, <laughs> took, the last, he took the last part of New Zealand, Land, and used that as his surname. So wow, that's okay. the only reason I know that, a little bit of trivia. The revival was produced by Cameron McIntosh and directed by the author Alan J. Lerner. A national tour was directed by Robin Midgley. And then in 81 and 93, there were Broadway revivals. The second Broadway revival uh, opened at Eurus Theatre August of 1981, closed November after 120 performances. Rex Harrison recreated his role as Higgins with Jack Gorham as Pickering, Milo O'Shea, lovely Irish actor, as Doolittle, and Kathleen Nesbitt at 93 years old, reprising her role as Mrs. Higgins. The, wow. the director was Patrick Garland. A new revival directed by Howard Davies opened at Virginia Theatre in December of 1993 and closed in May of 1994 after 165 performances. That cast starred Richard Chamberlain as Higgins, Melissa Errico as Eliza and Paxton Whitehead as Pickering, Julian Holloway, son of Stanley Holloway, recreated his father's role of Alfred P. Doolittle. 2001, there was a London revival and 2003, a Hollywood Bowl production. Cameron McIntosh produced a new production in March of 2001 at the Royal National Theatre, which transferred to the Theatre Royal in Drury Lane in July uh, of the same year. Directed by Trevor Nunn, the musical starred Martin McCutcheon as Liza and Jonathan Price as Higgins. That would have been worth seeing. And Dennis Waterman as Alfred P. Doolittle. That revival closed on August of 2003. A UK tour of that same production uh, took off in 2005. It uh, starred Amy Nuttall and Lisa O'Hare as Eliza, Christopher Casanova as Henry Higgins, Russ Abbott and Gareth Hale as Doolittle, and Honor Blackman and Hannah Gordon as Mrs Higgins. That tour ended almost a year later in August of 2006. We're almost there, Mel. In 2003, a production of the musical at the Hollywood Bowl starred John Lithgow as Higgins, Melissa Erico as Eliza, Roger Daltrey as Doolittle, and Paxton Whitehead as Colonel Pickering. 
Thinking they were onto a sure thing, there was also a 2018 Broadway revival. It began previews March of 2018 at the Vivian Beaumont Theatre and officially opened in April of that year, directed by Butler Sher. And the cast included Lauren Ambrose as Eliza, apparently stunning, Harry Haddon Patton as Professor Henry Higgins, also stunning, Diana Rigg as Mrs Higgins, Norbert Leo Butts as Alfred P. Doolittle. You couldn't ask for a more star-studded or more talented cast. Wonderful. The revival closed July the following year after 39 previews and only 509 regular performances. A North American tour of the production starring Shireen Ahmed and Laird McIntosh as Eliza and Higgins opened in December of 2019 and was scheduled to run through to August 2020, but you know what happened. Over the years, My Fair Lady's been nominated and earned a good handful of awards too. Nominated for 10 Tonys in 1957, winning six of them. It also took a Theatre World Award the year before, then two Tony nominations and a win for Best Actor in 76, 10 Tony nominations and a win in 2018, plus a ton of nominations and wins in all the other major awards, the Lawrence Olivier's Drama Desk, Outer Critic Circle, blah, blah, blah. In 1964, there was a film. That version was made uh, by George Cukor as director, with Rex Harrison again in the part of Higgins. The casting of Audrey Hepburn instead of Julie Andrews as, as Eliza was controversial, partly because theatre-goers thought Andrews was perfect for the part, and partly because Hepburn's singing voice was dubbed in the end by Marnie Nixon. Jack Warner, Jack L. Warner, I should say, the head of Warner Brothers, which produced the film, wanted a star with a great deal of name recognition. But since Andrews didn't have any film experience, he thought it would be more successful to cast a movie star, not a singer. Andrews went on to take her next role as Mary Poppins that same year, for which she won the Academy Award and the Golden Globe for Best Actress. Hmm. If only. Lerner, in particular, disliked the film of the musical, thinking it didn't live up to the standards of Moss Hart's original direction. He was also very unhappy with the casting of Hepburn as Eliza Doolittle, and that the film was shot in its entirety at the Warner Brothers studio, rather than, as he would have preferred to see, in London. Despite all the controversy, though, My Fair Lady, the movie, was considered a major critical and box office success, and won eight Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Rex Harrison, and Best Director for George Cukor. Uh, there was also an unreleased film in 2008. Columbia Pictures announced a new adaptation that year. The intention was to shoot it on location in Covent Garden, Drury Lane, Tottenham Court Road, Wimpole Street and all the other places. John Madden was signed to direct the film and Colin Firth and Kerry Mulligan were the possible choices for the leading roles. Emma Thompson wrote a new screenplay adaptation for the project, but the studio ultimately pulled the pin and shelved it. Now, I I skirted over it a little bit, but I want to talk for a minute about the show's premise. We've talked before about how sometimes shows don't age well in terms of their values or their style. Grease comes to mind as one that nowadays is just awfully icky with its message. Mm -hmm. And you can tell from everything I've mentioned so far that My Fair Lady's been a perennial favourite for decades um, since the get-go, really. There's been a massive fan base for the show. The performances of Rex Harrison, Julie Andrews, Stanley Holloway are iconic in themselves. The music is really superbly crafted and nuanced. It's lovely. From almost every perspective, it's hard to fault the show until you get to what it's all about. And until yeah. the 2018 revival, it was virtually guaranteed box office, but that's when the wheels came off. That's when the Me Too movement started to gain momentum and a growing awareness of toxic, sexist and misogynistic, abusive behaviour towards women meant that people started to look at the show, well, let's be charitable, a little differently. Henry Higgins is an ass. He's a self-centred bully who sees Eliza as a project and an object of curiosity and learns nothing through the course of the story, despite having grown, quote, accustomed to her face. 
The final scene, as written, depicts Eliza coming back to pretty much be subservient to him once again, and it's not a good look in the 21st century. The producers were aware of this change in attitude and switched it up a bit with the ending in particular. Although more accurately, they actually reclaimed the ending that George Bernard Shaw wrote for the play Pygmalion that it's based on. Back in 1913, he was aware enough. Eliza Doolittle finally leaves Professor Higgins, and she does so with a smile on her face and her head held high, and it's the ending that should actually make you go, yay, good for you, Eliza. You mm. wanted to get the hell away from him. But it actually raises more fundamental questions, because even with that ending, and even with its wonderful songs, why put on a show like My Fair Lady today in the first place, especially when men's abusive treatment of women has been so centre stage? One critic noted at the time of the uh, 2018 season, it's not a question resolved by the surprise climax or the appearance of a group of silent suffragettes holding votes for women signs in the ensemble. Perhaps My Fair Lady 2018 wanted to say something current within the context of the period the show is set in. Its climactic, radical moment is certainly a big plus, but it can't cancel out the toxic misogyny. Once it was played for laughs and now to an audience hostile, near, silent reception. I mean, the audiences watching the 2018 mm. season stopped short of booing it. Maybe the 2018 production is the one that just made all that very obvious in today's context, and the audiences have shown that they just aren't into it anymore. Yeah, I'm not saying it'll never see the light of day again, but gee, you'd have to think long and hard before wanting to put that one on. It's a shame, because as I said, I really love the music. I think it's great. Yeah, those themes... I mean, we keep we bring them up, it, it, like you mentioned, Grease and various other shows. Um, they don't age very well. No. Change everything about yourself so a man will like you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What could possibly go wrong with that idea? Anywho, yeah. that's all I have to say about that at long last. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what. This 2018 recording, like I've said, has been a saving grace. Uh, it's probably the most fun recording I've ever heard of it. And it is, despite its problems um it is a lovely piece of musical mm. theater history despite everything about it that aged really badly i wish they could find a way to to really switch it up but fundamentally i think the story itself is pretty well f-ed. <laughs> i'm really happy to hear you say that i mean sometimes things just die right yep and you sometimes gotta let them just, yeah they just fall by the wayside and <laughs> probably the best place for them well, that's about all the goods that we have for you this week, and I'm sorry to wrap it on for so long about My Fair Lady, but there was such an interesting story to tell. Mm. Please join us again next week for another Musical of the Week and another jolly good theatre-related yarn. We'd love to have you. We are hopeful, crossing our fingers, that we can get back into the studio together next week. So until then, we'll be continuing to encourage our friends and families to get vaccinated. We'll be looking for anything and everything theatre-related to drop right here. <laughs> in a nutshell, we indeed will be doing everything we can in order to be uh, the best advocates we can for the theatre that you want to see. With all our friends and communities, uh, we want to see them all getting back to doing what they love to do. From the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank Free FM for hosting us. Thanks also to Creative Waikato for sponsoring us. And thank you for coming back week after week. It means a great deal to us. It really does. Don't forget to catch Backstage wherever you get your podcasts. Backstage is available on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a bunch of others. 
and head over to Instagram and find Backstage Podcast NZ, where I will be sharing today's episode plus musical of the week on our story. I've been Mel, he's been Mike, and you've been Backstage. Stay so, safe out there and stay classy, theatre nerds. We're going to head out with a hymn to him, the song that says, Why Can't a Woman Be More Like a Man? And I will leave it there from our musical of the week, My Fair Lady. See you! What in all of heaven could have prompted her to go after such a triumph at the ball? What could have depressed her? What could have possessed her? I cannot understand the wretch at all. I, I say, Higgins, I have an old school chum at the home office. Perhaps he can help. I'll call him. Whitehall 7244, please. Women are irrational, that's all there is to that. Their heads are full of cotton hay and rags. They're nothing but exasperating, irritating, vacillating, calculating, agitating, maddening, and infuriating hags. Hello, uh, is Bruce the Budge in there, please? Oh, could he ring right back? Thank you. Pickering, why can't a woman be more like a man? Hmm? Yes. Why can't a woman be more like a man? The men are so honest, so thoroughly square, eternally noble, historically fair. When you win, we'll always give your back a pat. Why can't a woman be like that? Why does everyone do what the others do? Can't a woman learn to use her head? Why do they do everything their mothers do? Why don't they grow up like their fathers instead? Why can't a woman take after a man? The men are so pleasant, so easy to please. Whenever you're with them, you're always at ease. Would you be slighted if I didn't speak for hours? Of course not. Would you be livid if I had a drink or two? Nonsense. Would you be wounded if I never sent you flowers? Never. Why can't a woman be like you? One man in a million may shout a bit. Now and then there's one with slight defects. One perhaps whose truthfulness you doubt a bit. But by and large we are a marvelous sex. Why can't a woman behave like a man? The men are so friendly, good-natured and kind. A better companion you never will find. If I were hours late for dinner, would you bellow? Of course not. If I forgot your silly birthday, would you fuss? Nonsense. Would you complain if I took out another fellow? Never. Why can't a woman be like us? Mrs. Pierce, you're a woman. Why can't a woman be more like a man? If I were a woman who'd been to a ball, been hailed as a princess by one and by all, would I start weeping like a bathtub overflowing and carry on as if my home were in a tree? Would I run off and never tell me where I'm going? Why can't a woman be like me? I'm an ordinary man Who desires nothing more Than just the ordinary chance To live exactly as he likes And do precisely what he wants An average man of mine Of no eccentric whim Who wants to live his life Free of strife Doing whatever he thinks Is best for him Just an ordinary man 
Let a woman in your life And your serenity is true She'll redecorate your home From the cellar to the dome Then get on to the enthralling fun Of overhauling you Oh, let a woman in your life And you are up against the wall Make a plan and you will find She has something else in mind And so rather than do either You do something else that neither likes at all you want to talk of Keats or Milton She only wants to talk of love You go to see a play or ballet And spend it searching for her glove Oh, there's a woman in your life And you invite eternal strife Let them buy their wedding bands For those anxious little hands I'd be equally as willing for a dentist to be drilling than to ever let a woman in my life. I'm a very gentle man. Even-tempered and good-natured, whom you never hear complain. Who has the milk of human kindness by the quart in every vein. A patient man am I, down to my fingertips. The sort who never could ever would let an insulting remark escape his lips just a very gentle man but let a woman in your life and patience hasn't got a chance she will beg you for advice your reply will be concise and she'll listen very nicely then go out and do precisely what she wants you were a man of grace and polish You never spoke above a heart Now all at once you're using language That would make a sailor blush Oh, let a woman in your life And you are plunging in a knife Let the others of my sex Tie the knot around their necks I'd prefer a new edition of the Spanish Inquisition than to ever let a woman in my life. I'm a quiet living man who prefers to spend his evenings in the silence of his room, who likes an atmosphere as restful as an undiscovered tomb, a pensive man of mine, of philosophic joys, who likes to meditate, contemplate, Free from humanity's mad, inhuman noise Just a quiet living man But let a woman in your life And your sabbatical is through In a line that never ends Come an army of her friends Come to jabber and to chatter And to tell her what the matter is with you She'll have a booming, boisterous family Who will descend on you en masse She'll have a large Wagnerian mother With a voice that shatters glass Oh, let a woman in your life Let a woman in your life Let a woman in your life I shall never let a woman in my life. 
For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.